0: Hello, my name is James Pikeway, and I'm the host of Creative Mornings in Dubai, and this is the Creative Mornings in Dubai podcast. In this episode, we're talking folklore, and our speaker was Leila Binbrek, the Coordinating Director of the UAE Pavilion at the Venice Biennale. Her talk is all about storytelling. It's all about how we tell our stories. It's all about how we get people to engage with us. What a talk. You're going to love it. This is Leila Bimbrake.
1: Amazing. So, my name, obviously, is Leila Bimbrake. I'm the Coordinating Director for the UA Pavilion at the Venice Biennale. Um, We are the caretakers of the UAE's representation at the biggest, international, most prestigious platform for art and architecture. And uh, we've been participating since 2009. We've done Six art exhibitions and four architecture. Last year being our 10th exhibition in Venice, and also the year that we won the most prestigious prize, uh, the Golden Lion, which is like winning gold in Olympics for your country. Um, yeah, woohoo! Yeah, it's exciting. Um, but before I continue, I just want to quickly take a survey. How many people actually know what the Venice Biennale is? One, two, three, four. Okay, I'm actually really impressed <laughs> um, because most of the time it's maybe one person. But for those who don't know, the Venice Biennale is the oldest kind of international platform um, that allows, that still has country representation. So countries participate with pavilions. It's very different than Expo, it does it through the lens of art and architecture. They also have smaller um, presentations with dance, music, theater. And you probably know the Venice Film Festival as well. So it's quite a large enterprise. And you can say it's a a platform for cultural diplomacy. Okay, so So, what am I here to do today? So as I said in the video, we're storytellers. So I thought, you know, the theme today is folklore. And I guess the question is, how did we get here? How did the UAE get here? How did we win the Lion? How did we develop and move and go forward? But before I do that, maybe I'll tell you a little bit about my story first. Um, I'm Canadian of Yemeni heritage and Zanzibari roots. My parents grew up in Zanzibar, uh, grew up in Sa- I grew up in Saudi and the UK and eventually made my way back to Canada to do a fine arts degree. I am the daughter of two scientists, so the idea of going into arts was nowhere on the horizon until I spectacularly failed all of my sciences. Uh, And then I thought, well, yeah, actually, I'm pretty good at this art thing. So why don't I do that? Uh, Go and I do my degree. Uh, I practice as an artist for a couple of years. Realize, wait, I need to get a job to pay my bills. So I get a job in various different jobs. Eventually start working in a web development company as a project manager in the early days of the Internet. Uh, And um, But was still doing you know, art on the side and that kind of thing. And then of course 9-11 happens. And I realized that there's another vehicle that art and creativity can provide. And so I start working with the Canadian Arab Federation in Toronto, which is where I was, to use art and culture, whether it's through conferences or festivals, as a vehicle to create dialogue and understanding uh, and to make the other not so scary. Uh, and also to combat a lot of the Islamophobia that was happening at the time. So I did that for quite a few years. In 2006, I decided I needed a change, uh, and I moved to the UAE. Now, if any of you were here around about that time, you realized that it was quite an exciting time, especially in the art scene, to, to be here. Everything was just starting, shall we say. And uh, I found when I moved here, my true community, I guess you could say. My first job was at DuckTack. I don't know if anybody remembers. So I was the art center manager as part of the team that actually opened up that center. Very ambitious, it was a great idea, but you know, uh, sometimes when creatives decide to take on things, they don't always think of the logistics behind it. Uh, eventually I moved on to join the third line gallery, uh, the third line team. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Third Line. It was one of the first contemporary art galleries uh, in the region. We were also the first gallery to start doing international art fairs. So in those early days of the Third Line, I was with them for about six years uh, as their gallery director. And it was a gallery, yes, as a business, but also it was a platform that allowed a lot of other uh, local initiatives to kind of grow and experiment. We had a lot of fashion pop-ups, artist talks, cinema screenings. Um, experimental, uh, architectural talks, like anything you could think of that was creative would come and happen at the third line. And some of these initiatives have kind of grown on to become their own entities. For example, Cinema Akib, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Um, But after a while, the commercial side of the art scene was not for me. (laughs) So I left after six years. And while I was on sabbatical, taking some well-deserved time off, I got approached by the National Pavilion, uh, the, the organizers, by the commissioner to join the National Pavilion team. So in 2013, so the UAE had been participating in the Venice Biennale in 2009, 2011, and 2013. So just the art biennales. And I think those early days, if you think about 2009, a year previous to that is when they announced all of the museum projects, all of the big, you know, institutional things and in, that they wanted to do as a country. So the shift, I would say, from the above was, yes, less invest in culture. And how do we do, <clears throat> if we're going to bring a lot of things here, how do we also get taken seriously? We need to go somewhere globally to be, and the Venice Biennale seemed to be um, the place to go. So they tried it. For three art biennales and I guess in 2013 thought yeah this is actually worth the effort and they signed a long-term agreement with la biennale to have a permanent space which meant the UAE was now committed to participate not only in the art biennale every year but also in architecture and this is when the National Pavilion as, te- as an entity was really formed where we became a team where when I was approached to join it was kind of Okay, we've now made this commitment. So now we can really talk about what is the story that we want to tell? How do we want to tell it? And what are the mechanisms that we need to put in place to tell that story? Which, as you can imagine, was a bit of a challenge considering what we just, the UAE just turned 50 this year. I mean, we're not really that old. And if you consider the other pavilions that are the Venice Biennale, who have been some of them participating since the 1800s. We are really babies on the scene. Um, So what were some of the challenges? Um, One, we're young. So what stories do we really have to tell? Two, the stereotypes that were very, very strong out there. uh, Not just one for people to the first stereotypes that we had to deal with that Dubai is not a country. Actually, it's a city. It's an emirate within a larger country. Um, And yeah, so stereotypes, storytelling, and also kind of how do we ensure that our, uh, as a national pavilion, we're not seen as an Emirates specific pavilion. Uh, And how do we ensure that our selection every year was also reflective of what was happening on a local level, right? So one of the things that I did was to set up a committee selection structure where on our committee, we would ensure that we had uh, a diversity of voice from above and below. Uh, not below, but like from the grassroots and from government. So on our committee, we have individuals that represent the three main emirates that are involved in arts and culture. So Abu Dhabi, Dubai and Sharjah. We had uh, we had long-term versus specialists. So every year, depending if it was art or architecture, two or three of the committee members would be invite, you know, they were invitees every year, depending on those specializations. And always the previous curator would sit on the on the selection committee because they have experience of having gone through the process. Um, So that's one way of doing it, and also by having people who have that diversity of, you know, whether they're a professor versus a government uh, or institutional kind of um, uh, individual, you have that kind of different levels of thinking towards, you know, what is our next presentation going to be? How do we continuously build on our story? And it also you know, in having some of our committee members be long-term and continuous committee members, it allows that conversation every year to become a little bit more nuanced. So how do we so how do we do that, right? Um, the other way that we um, kind of do and diversified our story, I guess you said, is for architecture, we we decided to instill over the last two years uh, an open call because architectural discourse in the U.A. so art discourse is, quite well established after 10, 12, maybe 15 years. I mean, there's a lot of things happening. Everyone's more or less aware. Even in the universities, you can see that arts education has become a lot more um, uh, important. And you've seen a lot of homegrown initiatives. But architectural discourse is still really hard to unearth outside of whether they're academic, academic spheres. And academics are notorious for just sticking in their labs and not telling anyone what they do. Uh, So we started to instill an open call, which as you can see from last year was our first open call 2020. Well, it was supposed to be 2020, but obviously a pandemic threw us off course. Uh, But also silver lining gave us more time to work on it. Uh, And we came, you know, our open call gave us YY, which then produced Wetland, which then won us the Golden Line. So, you know, that's one way of kind of unearthing these individuals. Plus, the other thing that we do too is, let's say from the ground up, is we have a Venice internship program where we send interns, individuals, so long-term Emiratis and long-term residents from the UAE to be caretakers of our pavilion in Venice. These individuals either have a background in art or architecture, cultural diplomacy or any creative industry, There's a rigorous selection process. We send 21 individuals to Venice in batches of three, and they get to stay in Venice for a month. They get partnered up with an Italian intern who's studying Arabic, because there's a university there where they study Arabic and Middle Eastern studies. Uh, And they take care of our pavilion. And by taking care of our pavilion, they are our ambassadors. They, and in the end, you know, we could have just hired local Italians to open and close our pavilion. But at the end of the day, we saw it as an opportunity to have individuals who actually live and work, let's say, or are practicing in the UAE, be the ambassadors, be the ones to actually greet the visitors, talk about the exhibition, have that cultural exchange with with international uh, guests who come to the the Biennale. And to be fair, I mean, a lot of the times guests, we think, We've done really well in our, you know, getting out there and telling people what we're about, but you still be surprised how many people come up and be like, wow, so you can dress like that when you're, uh, you know, is this how you dress when you're over there in in Dubai? I'm like, okay, you have seen all the films out there about Dubai, right? I mean, yes, we're not, you know, you can drive, right? Are you allowed to drive? You really should be emancipated to drive. I'm like, we're not Saudi. And even now, Saudi, you know, women can drive. So that's not, you know, so there's a lot of, that that still happens, but I think what we've seen over the 10 years, especially after the seven years of being in the same space, continuously being present, we've noticed that, I mean this is what our interns tell us too, is that certain people come back regularly and they really want to see what the UAE has to say. Uh, You know, whether it's art or architecture, it also allows journalists and people who are covering uh, we've noticed there's a nuance, now, there's a little bit more, I mean, there's still some bad reporting. There's always going to be a bad reporting, but at least the stories around the UAE and what we're doing are a lot more nuanced. And this takes time, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that we do is we use our every exhibition also is accompanied by a publication. I have some examples here. So these are examples, you can take a look, uh, of our 2017 publication. Uh, and uh, 2000, okay, so this one is our 2015 exhibition by Sheikh Ahura Al-Qasimi, and it's pretty much an homage to the Emirates Fine Arts Society. So the reason why I bring this one is that, you know, when we talk about the long-term story, how do we create that nuance over time? So when she was appointed in 2015, it would have been the first art, the first art exhibition after we've signed our long-term agreement. So the first one in our permanent space, the first one that's going to determine what all the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years of art exhibitions are going to be like. And she was very adamant that we have to talk about um, what our history, what, like, you know, we need to establish that the UAE actually had uh, an art, uh, a fine art society, a fine art criticism, fine art discussion, way be- since the 60s, 70s. And that's what defined, you know, so it's kind of an homage to that. And at the time, a lot of people didn't really think it was a good exhibition because it looked like a museum show. I mean, we had a lot of discussions about how many artworks we could actually fit into our small space. It was a, a, it was a difficult exhibition. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, but, uh, but over time, the, the fact that she did that exhibition has then, then allowed the next, let's say 2017, which is the other publication, Hamad Nassar, who did an exhibition called Rock, Paper, Scissors. And in that exhibition, he he invited five artists, two of which were long-term residents and non-Emiratis to represent the UAE. Internationally, that might not seem like a big deal, but locally, the fact that you have non-Emiratis representing the UAE on such an international platform allowed a lot of curators and artists here in the UAE to expand that kind of dialogue and discourse about who is allowed to represent the UAE. What does being, you know, uh, from the UAE mean? If we're doing an exhibition around the UAE, you know, it needs to include a lot of artists who've come to either Dubai, Sharjah, Dhabi, and have made this place home and built their practices here. So you can see that sometimes whatever we do, <coughs> excuse me, in Venice has that kind of subliminal effect on the story here uh, and not only creates nuance internationally, but also locally as well. And actually with Hamad's publication, when it comes around, he, you know, he was very playful also in his publication in that he, one of the artists, um, one of the commissions in there was by uh, Deepak Unikrishan, who is a professor at NYU Abu Dhabi. I don't know if you've read his book, Temporary People, Places? I can't remember, it's too early, not enough coffee. But he was commissioned to do some text for the book. One of them being a, a, a rip away where you can let you, in order to read it, you had to, it was like a scratch card. You had to scratch out bits and pieces. So, you know, like every every exhibition has a certain, um, we try to make sure that there is a publication that accompanies it because that publication at the end of the day is the legacy of, of that exhibition. And some of our, you know, previous catalogs um, uh, have become, you know, standards in universities. A lot of PhD students kind of uh, reach out to us to ask us for copies or PDFs of our books because they're doing research around the region. It kind of encourages more uh, dialogue around that. Um, okay, so I'm almost, I'm almost done. I hope you guys, you guys have questions. So at the end of the day, we are going into our next, so this year is our eighth no, 11th exhibition. We actually are leaving for Venice in two weeks. <laughs> Let's uh, install the art exhibition. This year we have uh, Emirati artist Mohammed Ahmed Ibrahim, who's an artist uh, at the same level of, as Hassan Sharif, and, and, and Nijum, and all of those other kind of, that particular crowd. Lives in Khurfakan, has been practicing for decades, <clears throat> and only recently people are really kind of noticing his work. And so he'll be representing the UAE. And in speaking to him, he decided to work with Maya Allison. So this time around, we actually asked the artist, you know, we think you are ready. Like, we want you to represent the UAE. And who do you want to work with? Whereas previously, we would select a curator and that curator would decide for us. But uh, the committee decided to select him. So we're really excited for Mohammed. and his work, and the publication that's going to be coming out will be the first monograph and documentation of his practice over the last, I don't know, five or three or four decades, I think. Uh, so again, you know, these kind of legacies are there. And what I realized that over time, between our internship program, between our publications, Uh, between also the programming that we try to do every year where we partner with our local organizations to do either talks or workshops, seminars, that kind of thing. Um, You know, in this way, the more that we can uh, shift the or participate in the dialogue here, it means that then whatever we reflect back in Venice is a lot more uh, deep and nuanced as well. So having said that, I don't have anything more to say. That's my story. Uh, does anyone have any
0: questions? As students, we're becoming artists in the art world. How is it changing? What do we need to do?
1: Well, okay. So I can't speak on their behalf, but what I what I can say is, in terms of our internship program, what we've seen a lot of those individuals in the early years have gone on now to successful careers, either as artists, or practitioners, architects. Um, I mean, you can just go to Expo, and you'll see one or two, like a few Afra uh, Zaheri, Munir Asayeh is a curator. Um, I can't list all the names right now, but there are a lot of them out there working, and most of the ones who are successful realize that they actually have other jobs too, as well as their practice. I mean, that's the only way. I don't think that's changing anytime soon, um, and it's just a, in a way, I don't know. Is that my phone? Or no? Um, that's kind of a rite of passage. And I think it makes the more, um, if you are an artist and you you only become more interesting, the more you expose yourself to other things, not just other artists, but other environments. Ever Every opportunity that you come across, whether it's failure or success or a roadblock, it's an opportunity to grow. So, you know, I don't think... I hope they all have to have real jobs before they become successful artists so they can really appreciate their success.
0: What have you learned and how do we move forward from the spreadsheet kind of economics that dominates our world where people say, hey, well, what's in this? How does this make any money? How's there value in doing this? If yeah.
1: That well, <clears throat> how do we make money in this? I mean, I really can't answer how do we make money in this because well, I'm still awesome trying to... Yeah, but money. but but if you think about it, the other silver lining of COVID, I mean, it's not a great thing to say, but like of the lockdown is that people actually turn to the arts. I mean, to occupy their time, to stimulate them, to give them comfort, whether it's music, whether it's drawing, whether it's reading, films, uh, theater. Uh, so, you know, I think in in terms of... of that, there's always work to do. There's always people who still feel that they don't, I think people are also afraid to go and experience and understand because sometimes if you think about the small world, of will say the gallery world or the museum world, it can seem a bit intimidating. But, you know, um, one of the things about the scene here is that if you really do go to a gallery and you ask somebody, majority, majority not all galleries, but a majority of galleries will have somebody who will take you around and they're happy at least in my time, to talk to you about what that artist's work is, who they are, what's their story. And for me, when we stopped doing that, that's when I stopped wanting to be a part of that. So, I mean, so that's one thing. We need to all be out there talking about it more. I think if you think about in 2009, when the UAE first started participating at the Venice Biennale, there was no value for arts education in the way that it is now, right? So um, these changes take time. Uh, one of the, but there's still a lot of work to do. For example, I was on a talk with Her Excellency Nurat Al-Kabi recently, and we were talking about this idea of cultural creative economy and, you know, what does it mean and how do we make it better? And I'm just like, you know, okay, we talk about universities and how we need to have art schools and da-da-da and all this other stuff. I'm like, what about in preschool, what about in high school? Like, where's the arts education? You need to start young. You need to start taking, you know, kids need to be taken to the museums, to the galleries, to the theater, to the concerts, whatever, in order for them to appreciate it. When They won't maybe always understand it, but the sooner you start taking them out, you, the more that they'll learn an appreciation for it. I didn't really learn an appreciation until I was much older because we didn't have that culture. We also grew, I also grew up in Saudi, so there was nothing really there. Um, but even when we went on holidays, it was not a thing for my family for us to go to a museum. It just wasn't. You know, it wasn't in there. It wasn't until I went to boarding school in the UK and suddenly you have all these school trips to whatever. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. I'm going to all of these. You know, so it. Sometimes you need to be forced into these things to kind of understand.
0: Um, I'm curious to know uh, whether you've been following or whether you've been exploring
1: the web three NFT madness that's going on in the art world mm. right now. Uh, and like, is that something that you feel like there's actual potential for, or do you think Um to be honest? I yes, I'm kind of seeing it happen, uh, and I'm still. It's been explained to me many, many times. Uh, I'm still, to be honest, trying to wrap my head around it. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I really, I think it's too early to say. Uh, the one thing about the UAE, you know, one of the good and bad things, just like a yin-yang thing, is that they get really excited about things, and then it becomes, and then it's everywhere. Like, NFTs, da-da-da, every, Like, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, I mean, a paddle court. You're right. It just opened up inside of, in front of my building. I'm like, when did this happen? I didn't even notice they were building this. But anyway, you know, they're, they're really quick to catch on to these things. So I'm really interested to see how it de- how it develops further. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you yet. I'm, you know, whenever I get a chance to read an article, I mean, it's it's an interesting idea. But personally, I think it's just a lot of bad art out there. And it's about ownership at the end of the day. It's about It's really for people who wanna own things. And if you think about collecting uh, work, there is an element of collecting that is really more about the ownership than than it is about the artwork itself. Like when I buy work, I buy it because I wanna see it on my wall and because I love it. There's a story, it gives me comfort or whatever, but there are people who buy because of an ownership thing, right? And I think that's where NFTs maybe make more sense for people. They feel they have a part of something. But let's see, I mean, who knows? Yeah, final thing. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with whatever we're doing, please follow us on our social media platforms at National Pavilion UAE. I don't know if you can see it here. Um, at National Pavilion, yeah. And so we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, although I'm not on Twitter. but um, And then we also have our Venice interns, which is an Instagram page just dedicated to our internship program. So if you know future interns, we always do our call out in. in
0: August or September, for the following year. So, okay. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. You have been listening to the Creative Mornings in Dubai podcast. This was the Folklore Edition with Leila Binbrek, the Coordinating Director of the UAE Pavilion at the Venice Biennale. Thank you very much for taking the time. Go and check out the rest of our podcast and take a look at what we do. At Creative Mornings in Dubai. Creative Mornings, all one word, and Dubai. Hit us up on your favorite browser. Why not join us if you're in Dubai? Thanks for listening. My name is James Pikeaway. So long for now.